0: Merry Christmas. Today we are concluding our series called Down to Earth. And what we've been talking about in this series is that at Christmas, the God who is high and exalted comes down to earth. And this is such a demonstration of humility. And if we want to know Jesus, then we've got to come down to earth too. So that's what this series has been about Uh, Today, I'm excited because we're just going to look at the Christmas story, and then we're going to zoom in on the shepherds and talk about what we can learn from them. So um, I know you just sat down, and I'm so sorry, uh, but could you stand back up and let's just, we're just going to read the Christmas story, um, and then we'll zoom in on the shepherds. So Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard which were just as they had been told. This is God's word. You can take a seat. There are two important word pictures going on in this story. Uh, the Bible is a true book. It's factual information. But it's wrong to think about the Bible like it's a textbook. It's not. The Bible is true and factual, but it's, it's also creative and clever. There are word plays and themes that are woven throughout it. So it's not just a textbook, it's literature. And there are two themes in this story that are really interesting. Here's the first one. Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a real place, but there's more to it than just the place that it occupies in the story. Bethlehem is a picture in the Bible of humble beginnings, yet strong leadership. That's what Bethlehem is. Uh, And the reason for that is a couple of things. First, when we first get introduced to Bethlehem, it's because there's this shepherd boy who's from there. What happens is God is going to anoint a new king for his people in Israel, and He sends the prophet Samuel to go find the person who is going to be the next king. And he sends him to the city of Bethlehem where Jesse is. And Jesse had a lot of sons. And so Samuel thought, great, we'll show up. Jesse, where are your sons at? We need to anoint one of these guys king. And so they start with the oldest, the strongest. They go down the line. God says, this isn't the one. They bring the second oldest. This isn't the one. They keep going down the line until they go, they've gone through seven sons. And Samuel's like, all right, do, do you have anybody else? Are there, Is there anybody else around because these aren't the right ones? And they say, yeah, we've got uh, our youngest son, but he's out with the sheep right now. And he's like, bring him in. And so he comes in and God says, look, don't consider his outward appearance because I've rejected him. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so David in the city, in the town really of Bethlehem is anointed king. So even though there's this humble, small town, it's the place where there's a great leader who's from there. So that's true of David in Bethlehem and The Old Testament also says that Bethlehem is also where the Messiah will come from. Not only David, the great king, is from Bethlehem, but the greatest king will also be from Bethlehem. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Bethlehem Ephrathah, just another name for Bethlehem, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity from ancient times. So Bethlehem is this picture of humble beginnings, yet strong leadership. And that's also true of this story, the Christmas story. So That's the first image. The second image, the second picture that has more meaning than maybe you would see on an initial reading is the shepherds The shepherds are real people, but there's more to them as you think about the scripture than just the people. Here's what I mean. Culturally speaking, shepherds had a reputation of just being rejected. They were people who weren't taken seriously. And the reason is because they had a dirty job. They were out in the fields all day with the sheep, with the cattle. And so in some Jewish traditions, a, a shepherd couldn't even give testimony in court because they just weren't taken seriously. And so culturally, when you read about shepherds, there's some meaning behind it that our culture wouldn't understand. But that's not just true culturally, it's also true biblically. Shepherds is, or shepherd, is a theme in the Bible with some meaning. Meaning. Uh, think about this even though culturally shepherds were were rejected throughout the bible god chooses to identify with shepherds he says about himself and his people he says you're the sheep of my pasture i'm your shepherd he uses that image about himself multiple times isn't that interesting that God would identify with the one that the world has rejected? And not only does God identify with shepherds, but the most famous biblical characters of the Old Testament are shepherds. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all shepherds. Moses, shepherd. David, a shepherd. It's interesting. You could actually tell the entire storyline of the Old Testament and the covenants that God made with his people just by looking at the shepherds. Isn't that interesting? And here we arrive at the birth of the Messiah, Jesus. And it's in Bethlehem, the place of humble beginnings, yet strong leadership, And the first people that this message is announced to are shepherds. People that the world has rejected and yet that God has chosen to identify with. Isn't that interesting? So keep those two images, those two ideas in your mind as we zoom in and look at verses 8 through 20 together. All right? Verse 8. In the same region, that's Bethlehem, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Verse 9, then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, or literally they feared a great fear. So think about what's happening here. A group of people that the world has said, there is no glory there. There's nothing to, to, to honor there. A group of people that the world has said there's no glory, God is choosing to display his glory to. And here's their message. Here's God's message to the shepherds. Verse 10 But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And here's the news. Verse 11. Today, in the city of David, who by the way was a shepherd that was overlooked, today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This message that the angel proclaims to the shepherds tells us three things about Jesus. First, Jesus is a Savior. That's actually what his name means. The name Jesus means the Lord is salvation or the Lord saves. He has come to be a savior for sinners and shepherds, people that the world has rejected. It also tells us that Jesus is the Messiah That is, he's the chosen one. He's the anointed one. He's the one that the Old Testament was looking forward to. He's the one who will fulfill God's promises. He's the one who will make it possible for God's people to enter a kingdom that's eternal. He's the Messiah. And this is so interesting. It says that he's the Lord. Now throughout Luke 1 and 2, the phrase, The Lord, or the word Lord, is used to describe God himself. And here Luke uses it to refer to Jesus. And we talked about that last week, that Jesus is not just a man. He is truly man, but he is also truly the Lord. So that's the message today. In the place where a shepherd was overlooked before, In the city where humble beginnings lead to strong leadership, there's a baby who's been born. He's a savior. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. Verse 12. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Now, in the Old Testament, God would use signs to help uh, prove to people that he was really working, that he was really speaking to them. So Moses, uh, in Exodus chapter 3, received a sign from the Lord. There was this burning bush, and then Moses was like, how do I know that this is all really going to work out like you said? And so God gave him a sign. He put his hand in his pocket, and when he pulled it out, it, was, it had leprosy on it. Put it back in, pulled it back out, it was gone. And he was like, all right, that was pretty impressive. Uh, and so he, he believed him. And so here, the angel is giving the shepherds a sign to look for so that they will know that God is really working. But it's not a very impressive sign. Like, if the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord had just been born, and you were in charge of picking what the sign was going to be, what are you coming up with? Like, you'd probably have a little brainstorming meeting, Let's, let's get out the fireworks, party hats, the gazoo things, you know it's a big deal. Let's get a band there. I don't know. This sign is incredibly down to earth. The sign is that you're going to find a baby lying in a manger. A manger. Now, a manger is the place where animals would eat out of, I was, uh, somebody came up to me after the first service and said, you know, the the mangers are actually, a manger is actually pretty clean because uh, a cow, when, after it's done eating, will lick the bottom of the manger. So, I mean, it's actually a pretty clean place. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds really clean to me, right? (laughs) So I want you to think about this, all right? You're a new mom, and you're at Valley Medical Center or wherever people go to the hospital these days, okay? And you've just given birth. And they're like, you know, we're really sorry. We, we don't have any more of those baby beds, uh, cribs, yep. We don't have any more of those cribs available, all right? And so it's gonna be okay though. We've got some trash cans that are rectangular And it'll be really easy. You can just put the baby in there. You would not be cool with that. And when God was born, when the Messiah was born, when the Savior, who brings good news for all people, was born, they put him in a manger. That's the sign. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Now that little phrase, people he favors, is kind of complicated, but basically it just means people who trust in him. There is peace for people who trust in him. Verse 15. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Now, what is the message that they're reporting? It's the message from verse 11, that today, hey, today in the city of David, there's a savior who's been born. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. And people are getting excited. And Mary, verse 19, Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. Verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. In this story, God chooses to display his glory to shepherds without glory. Think about that. In this story, God chooses to display his glory to shepherds without glory. And this is not just a sentimental story for us. This has huge implications for us. Today, we're gonna talk about two of them. Here's the first. If we want to know Jesus, we have to become shepherds. If we want to know Jesus, we've got to become shepherds. Here's what I mean. We think that to be someone who's respected or who's going to be accepted or who's lovable or who's worth something, we think if we're going to be that kind of person, then we need to be a king or a queen, not a shepherd. Um, recently, uh, we were on this walk and I saw some uh, like third and fourth grade age boys, I'm guessing, playing uh, on our walk. And I overheard what they were saying. They were arguing about who was the oldest, who was the tallest, and who was the fastest. Do you remember when that was what was most important to you in life? <laughs> Being oldest, tallest, and Fastest. And I was thinking about that, and I just I thought, you know, we do that too, just in adult ways. We think that there's, there's value to be had in being up here, in being the king, in being the queen. Here's some ways that that plays out. We think that our worth is in how attractive we are. We think our worth is in how well connected we are, how much wealth we build, how much money we can make, how successful our careers are or our businesses, how much our ideas are listened to, maybe how morally upright we are, maybe how well our kids are doing. Maybe how much our grandkids like us compared to their other grandparents. Do you see how these are all just ways of being the tallest, the oldest, the fastest? And we think there's glory to be had in that. And so what ends up happening in that way of thinking is two different groups of people are created. On the one hand, you've got the weak. These are people who, when you think about yourself and you think about the standards that the world celebrates, you just realize that you don't measure up. And so there are people who, who look at the world this way and they fail, and so consequently they just feel insecure and they have bitterness towards people who have more than them. And there's part of us at times, of of every person I think, who can end up there. Looking at what it means to have glory in the world causes you to feel insecure and causes you to experience jealousy and bitterness. But there are other times where the group of people that's formed from this this idea of being the tallest, oldest, and fastest creates a group of people who's strong. Who knows that, you know what, I, I do have a lot going for me. And what happens to that group of people is they start to trust far too deeply in themselves. And both groups of people completely miss the good news of Jesus. Here's why. The good news of Jesus says that the God who is glorious and is high and exalted has made us to be in a deep relationship with him. And yet, because we thought that we could define glory for ourselves, We've rebelled against him. We've each tried to be wise in our own eyes and we've gone our own way. Romans 3.23 summarizes it by saying, for all have sinned, and then listen to this phrase, and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have tried to do things our own way and consequently we've, we've, we've fallen short of God's glory in trying to be glorious ourselves. But the good news says that God has displayed his glory to those without glory. And he's done it not just by announcing the birth of Jesus to some shepherds. He's done it by sending his son Jesus to be born, to grow up and live a sinless life, to go to the cross and pay the price for sinners so that all who would come to him and trust in him can have the hope of glory. Paul says that's the message that we proclaim in Colossians chapter 1, Romans chapter 8. The message we proclaim is is the message of hope for glory. But do you see how in order to, to experience that glory, in order to have that glory, in order to be exalted, to be seen as someone who's respected and accepted, to be someone who's loved. You have to first recognize that you're a sinner who's fallen short and that you need something that only God can give you. Otherwise, the good news of Jesus, you don't need it. And so the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it should change the way that we view ourselves. Let me talk to the strong for just a minute. If when you evaluate your life, you think, you know what, I actually do have a lot going for me. Our family is in pretty good shape right now. Maybe I, I have been successful, maybe we do. You know, we are okay right now. If you're the strong today here's what you need to know first of all that is a more dangerous position for you to be in when it comes to the things of god jesus said it's it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven why because when you think about your life you're okay you've got what you need things are comfortable you can depend on yourself. That's a dangerous place to be. So if you're in that camp, if you're in the strong camp this morning, first of all, be honest about that. And think about my neighbor's dog growing up. Here's what I mean. When we were a family, uh, growing up as a family, we had this uh, dog who lived next door to us, their family. And it was a white dog, and they would just talk all the time about how white their dog was. It's just the whitest dog. Oh, look how white. Oh, it's just the whitest fur. Oh, it's just the white, white dog. Oh, look how beautiful, you know. And so naturally, we just got sick of that stupid white dog, right? Um, Because we are terrible people. Um, And so um, and so one winter, it snowed. And they had to let their dog out to use the bathroom. And so our family gathered around our back window and watched as their white dog pranced out into the snow. And in the snow, it looked like a yellowish brown dog. And we were so proud. (laughs) And here's why you need to know that story if you're in the strong camp. is you may feel like you are just white as snow. And in fact, other people may even think that about you and they praise you for how great your life is, for how great you are, for how great your family is. But compared to Jesus, you fall short. And so if you are really ever going to know Jesus, you've got to become a shepherd. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to do what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter three where you consider all of this gain that you have. And you've got to count that as loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. You've got to become a shepherd if you want to know Jesus. Jesus. Let me talk to the weak for just a minute. If you feel insecure, if you find yourself feeling better or jealous of others, and it feels like when you think about God or the things of God, like you just, God's just waiting on you to bring something that's worth offering to him. Here's what you need to know. God just wants you. Not because of what you can bring to him. Not because of what you can offer him. But just because he loves you. He made you. It's kind of like my father-in-law with his granddaughters. When we were living in St. Louis, my father-in-law, he owns a heating and air company and so he was, uh, he was coming to town to install uh, air conditioning in my brother-in-law's house. And so he was going to install a couple of mini splits at a couple different locations. And my nieces, who were four and three at the time, wanted to help Papa install the mini splits. And granted, they don't know anything about mini splits, right? Um, and having them around all day when you're, you know, doing all that is just a hassle. But what do you think papa said? Absolutely. And literally they were taking a snack break and they hadn't even started yet. <laughs> so that shows you how the day was going to go. But would papa say no to that? Absolutely not. Why? Because he needed some helpers? No. Because he loves them. He just wants to be with them. And that is how your Heavenly Father feels about you. And that's why he sent his son into the world. That's why Jesus gave up the power and privilege of heaven to come and lie in a manger is so that you could also become a child of God. So you need to become a shepherd too. You're not just someone who's an outcast and been rejected. You're someone who's a shepherd. And what does God do for shepherds? He brings them in. He identifies with them. So whether you're in the strong camp or the weak camp, you've got to become a shepherd if you're really going to know Jesus. And that leads to the second implication of this. If we want to know Jesus, we've got to become shepherds. If we know Jesus, if we've recognized that I've got to be a shepherd to experience him, then we'll love other shepherds. If we know Jesus, we will love other shepherds. See, the way that the world works is it prioritizes performance and power and privilege. So if you've got money or a big title or a nice house or a beautiful family or good grades or an impressive resume, we'll accept you. We'll listen to you. We'll give you the benefit of the doubt. The good news of Jesus says there are no little people and there are no little places This means that as Christians, we are called to love people who are different than us. On the first week of this series, I told you that one of the things I've been praying would happen in this series is that we would come down to earth and that, that would be evidenced in the way that we love people who are different than us. And the reason I've been praying that is because of this passage The first people God chooses to announce this birth to are people that the rest of the world has rejected. And if we are people who have embraced the message of Jesus, then we've also got to be people who are willing to love those who have been rejected. We've got to love people who are different than us. We love people who are from a different tax bracket. We love people who are from a different ethnicity. We love people from a different political party. We love people with different personalities. We love people who have different education levels. We love people who are different ages. The church is a place where different people are united together because of Jesus. There are no little people in no little places. And people who realize that they are shepherds find ways to love other shepherds. Whether that's just having kindness toward someone, whether that's being generous with your resources and sharing with those in need. This is one of the reasons that I love being able to give to a church like Highlands, is not just because when we give to Highlands, we make it possible to preach the word and gather together, and that is important, and that's our primary mission as a church. But when we, when, when we give to, to churches like Highlands, and Highlands is not the only church like this, not even in our city, but when you give to churches like Highlands, You're also giving through Highlands to all kinds of other things in our city. So it looks like being kind. Maybe it looks like being generous. Maybe it just looks like praying for people who are different than you. To love someone who's different, maybe it just starts with praying for someone who's different than you. Uh, Jim Munson, who happens to be in this service, is uh, a man who's on our staff and um, he he just has encouraged me so much in this area. When I first got here, I was talking with him about some of the things I was hoping here at Highlands and I was telling him about some ways that I'd like to pray for things. And he just, he taught me a bunch of stuff about prayer one day. I just said, hey, you seem like a man of prayer. Can you just teach me some stuff? And his main bottom line idea is just, we make prayer way too complicated. And I'm like, I can get on board with that because I, uh, I need something simple too. So, so he just said, you know what? When I pray for people, I just do what Jesus said. In Luke chapter 10, when he sent the people out, I just pray peace on people. So he walks around his neighborhood and he just prays over the houses that he passes. Hey, God, would you bring your peace here? Would you bring your blessing here? And I thought, well, I can do that. But even that simple idea of just praying peace for people, like when I'm sitting next to somebody at a red light, just thinking, God, would you bring your peace to them? Would you bring your blessing to them? Would you help someone share the light of Jesus with them? Just doing that simple thing, as easy as that is, it's so easy to neglect because it's just a a discipline. But something that Jim said that I think is so, so good is he says, before I talk to someone about God. I want to make sure I've talked to God about them. And if we're going to be people who love those who are different than us, if we're going to be a church where we unite together around Jesus, even though we're different, then we've also got to be a church that prays. We've got to pray for people who are different than us. And that's hard to do. But as Christians, we refuse to count anyone out because with God, anything is possible. Even the shepherds are brought in. To close today, we want to share a story with you about a family in our church who has embodied what it looks like to obey God in this way. So check out this story.
1: When you die to yourself, you will truly live. And um, it's so true. We don't we don't know what will fulfill us and make us happy. We think we do. Like I wouldn't have said, caring for a special needs child will fulfill me and make me happy. And sometimes it's not happy. <laughs> My name is Molly Mary, and I'm here to tell the story of our adoption. Um, But we have a lot bigger family than just one kid. We have six kids who are a lot of fun and we're kind of crazy and loud. Um, We homeschool some of them. Joseph and Vivian are our youngest, and both of them have special needs. Um, Joseph, we just adopted from Uganda, and he is an Enneagram 7, I would say, because he's so funny and social. Even though he can't talk or walk, he can charm you. Vivian, you might hear in the background right now, she's making noises, and she is five, and when she's going to be six soon, but when she was in my womb, they told us that she probably wouldn't survive much after she was born, and she's now six, and we love her, and we're enjoying her.
2: So for both Vivian and Joseph, neither one of them are able to take food by mouth, so they both have G-tubes, which requires them to be hooked up to a pump five times a day uh, for their food.
3: Growing up in a family with disabled kids can definitely be really hard at times. It takes a lot to get out the door specifically because you have to pack all of their food and all of the stuff they need in different bags and stuff but it also can be a huge blessing because God works through that in so many different ways.
1: If Joseph has been left alone for a while I'll try to play with him sometimes I hold him and I swing him around and he really likes that or i'll jump on our trampoline with him and he he loves that especially when everyone's jumping
2: i have four kids who who tell me i love you and they they help out and they take care of themselves and then i have two who will likely never say i love you though they'll, they'll likely not do much on their own to to help out and yet, I'm reminded that God's love for us has to do not with just what we do for Him, but who we are and who He's made us to be. And so, um, they they remind me of that every day.
1: So, a little bit of history on Joseph. Um, so he he has lived in at Home of Hope in Uganda for um, since he was probably around three months old. So basically. Um, somebody at the home found him wrapped in a banana leaf on the ground outside of Home of Hope, and they're they're pretty sure he was maybe even drugged because they he was really quiet, and they weren't sure you know even if he was going to live.
2: When I first saw Joseph, uh, I saw somebody who was looking for hope. I saw somebody who was looking for love. I saw somebody who was looking for stability and strength
3: my dad was like oh what if we adopted a kid and my mom was like oh god's been telling me that too and i was like no 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 stop this don't don't let this start i really
1: like life right now we've just gotten used to vivian probably those first two weeks were like some of the darkest weeks (laughs) that i've ever had because i was struggling with sleep It was difficult emotionally. It was difficult physically and just lifting him and doing all of the, I mean, when when he first got a G-tube, we were dealing with vomit a lot. We were dealing with all kinds of bodily fluids, even though God asks you to obey. And there's this amazing, glorious, like there's the fulfillment. (laughs) There's also just the everyday life that is difficult. And sometimes we've had conversations where it's like, I know that what we're doing is God's will, and I know that what we're doing is meaningful and good, but I'm tired, and this was just uh, a bad day. <laughs> had some, quite a few of those days at times. And God is faithful, it, it doesn't mean it's a picnic.
2: I'm reminded of passages like Matthew 25, where Jesus talks about. The person that you helped in prison, the the man that you gave clothes to, um, that was me. And so, I I do feel like in some tangible, practical way, when we meet the practical needs of kids like Vivian or like Joseph, we are loving God. We're demonstrating the love of God. And so I I think that's something that I preach to myself is is that when I Tired, and I feel like I'm kind of at the end. God reminds me, you're doing this to me, you're doing this for me.
1: God's showing us how we need him, but how how his love can grow in us. I love making the kids laugh. It's one of my
3: favorite things.
1: One time we played like a burping noise and he laughed so hard. And we just thought, man, he really is like a six-year-old on the inside if you want to take something away from this take away that God will and can speak to you when you want him to and obey him and and even if it's not what you think you want you can trust him you might not be called to adopt but you are called to help the fatherless and the widows and that might be giving money, that might be doing work overseas, that might be giving to somebody else who's going overseas. That I mean, there's a million ways, and that also might be somebody right here in your area that is a single mom.
2: I think right now, especially, it's easy as believers to want to find a place of comfort and protection and safety. I felt like God totally knocked on my door and said, I want you to come out of that place of comfort, and I want you to Come to a place where you're more dependent on me. Part of that was through this adoption. I see over and over in the Gospels where Jesus talks about the least of these. And there are the least of these on many levels, whether it be financial or relational or physical or mental. And he calls us to love them. And this is one way to love the least of these.
0: To close, I just want to read these few verses from 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. Can I pray for you? Father, thank you for sending your son into the world to make it possible for us to live. God, I pray for the people listening to this today that you would, that you would humble us we would become like shepherds in order to receive this message. And God, that we would also love shepherds in response. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Would you stand?